You may remain standing as we read the Word of the Lord. It's good to see each one of you. Be sure and sign the little pad that's in the left side of the pew. Stand for the reading of the Word. We're in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15. This will be the last time we look at Samuel in any detail. In this particular passage, we're going to not read every detail of it. We're going to skip through the chapter and read just some highlights. But here's what's going on. God is sending now King Saul to a mission, a divine mission of divine and holy justice. He's sending them out to fight the Amalekites. The Amalekites were the people, if you'll remember, were the first people to attack Israel as they came out of Egypt and were crossing the Sinai Peninsula and the desert. It was the Amalekites that attacked them viciously and tried to destroy them. It was the Amalekites that Joshua, young Joshua, went up to fight and Moses had his hands held up by uh, Aaron, the rod that enabled them to finally have victory over the Amalekites. Several other times in the history of Israel, God had seen what the Amalekites had done to Israel. Vicious, vicious things. They were descendants of of, uh, Esau. They were some of the most vicious people in the ancient world. 400 years have come and gone. And God now is going to do what He had ordered Joshua to do in Deuteronomy 25, and that is to destroy, exterminate, put under the holy ban. That is, you don't take any spoil, you slaughter everything and destroy everything of this wicked, vicious people. God had given them 400 years to repent. And now He's going to bring about His holy, righteous, perfect judgment upon the Amalekites. And He gives Saul the assignment. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted that Amalekite did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey." But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel said to Saul, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why did then you not obey the voice of the Lord. Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, 
I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of the Amalek, and have destroyed the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice it to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord so great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also, the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. And then I add the very last of the chapter. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went to his house in Gibeah. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you had never heard of this episode out of the life of King Saul, you would have heard this at his funeral. This is the obituary of King Saul. And when Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side. Against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them. And he did valiantly and struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Malkishuach. And he had two daughters and a wife. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, his uncle. There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached him to himself. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And that's what we see here. What I just read to you, you you had your head down in your text, you saw it was the very last two paragraphs of the previous chapter. That's the way Saul is regarded in the public eye and in the public life. 
That's his eulogy. That's his obituary. He was valiant. He fought. He won. He was successful. He was a good man. He had sons who were good men. He had daughters. He had one wife all the days of his life. He was from a respectable family. He lived an outwardly and wonderful, respectable life. He's worthy of our praise. In fact, there was one distinctive about Saul that stands out in my mind as I recall his life. He always had the ability to bring to himself valiant men, good men, men who were brave and were fighters and were skilled in war because Saul realized his life's mission was to protect God's people. And he did. Moab and the Ammonites and the Philistines and all the rest that are listed. He did his life's calling. Now we come to say goodbye and lay him to rest. What a great man, Saul. That's what the Scriptures say. And then they tell us of this episode. They tell us of this time when God called upon Saul to do this special mission as we spoke of a moment ago. And that was to exercise divine justice and retribution upon an absolutely wicked people who had been in their wickedness for four centuries. And God was ready now to execute His exact and righteous justice upon this people in exterminating them. And you heard the narrative. They didn't do that. It's interesting that when they went, a portion of the Scripture that we didn't read there in that 15th chapter was when they did go to make war against the Amalekites, there was a group that were living among them called the Kenites. They were basically metal workers by trade. That was kind of their tribal vocation. And they were descendants of Median. They were, the, they were relatives actually of uh, Moses' in-laws. These were desert dwellers. These were Bedouin tribes. And they had always had little mercy. You remember the Midianites, not only had they been the, the tribe that Moses had settled with and married into when he was in the wilderness and out in the desert with the sheep, living the Bedouin lifestyle, but it was the Midianites, you remember, who took Joseph from out of the pit when his brothers were going to kill him and they decided to sell him into slavery and they took Joseph down and they had mercy upon him. Instead of slaughtering him, they just simply spared his life and sold Joseph into slavery. And that was when Joseph's brothers meant it for evil, but God worked it out for good. These peoples God had mercy on. And so in the narrative it says that Saul told the Kenites the descendants of these Midianites, to get out of the land and to run and to be spared. And then they went down to destroy the Amalekites and they routed them in a battle. But what God had told them was to devote everything to destruction. And what that meant was the holy ban or the, uh, the uh, devotion to destruction was a sacred thing. It says that God owned them and they were to be at God's mercy, and they were to do to them what God told them to do, and that is destroy it. But as was typical in so many wars, they did destroy, it says, 
the worthless they devoted, the sick animals, the animals they didn't need, uh, the, the, maybe the camels that weren't so useful in the hill country of Judea as they were on the desert, and a few things like that. They, they destroyed those things. And they slaughtered some of the people. But they saved the king alive, and they saved all of the good livestock. And when Samuel went out to greet Saul returning from the battle, Saul was talking about what all he had done, and he had this greeting, Blessings upon you, dear Samuel. And all kinds of positive outlook and upbeat and victory. Samuel wanted to know if he had accomplished the mission. He said, I've accomplished the mission. He said, then what is this bleating of the sheep I hear? What's the lowing of the oxen? What is it that I hear? He said, oh, that's the people did that. It's like the same excuse Aaron made at the golden calf when he was confronted. It was the, the people. And of course, that was the sum total really in the essence of Saul's kingship. The people had favored him. He had always enjoyed the favor of the people. And he listened to the voice of the people and not the voice of God. He followed along with the needs of the people. He had what we would call in some ways a servant's heart. He was anxious to do that which was good for the people. He had also a, a heart that was a, a people-pleasing heart. That will go a long way in public life. But that will not serve the Lord in His kingdom necessarily all the time. And what I want to do in the moment we have left is I want to just list for you. I was going to give, I'll give an example of the sins of Saul and then I want to ask you a question. I'll go ahead and ask the question now. As I read through what I've sketched out are the sins of King Saul and why the Lord rejected him. It says here the Lord had rejected him because he had rebelled and walked away from God. He had rejected God's word, so God had rejected him. Why did he reject him? First, we saw last week in having a dynasty. And then secondly, today, and finally, we see that God has rejected him of even being king over Israel. God's going to find a new king, a better king, he says in the passage. But let me ask you this question. As you, as, you, as you hear these things, what is your fatal personal defect? What is it in your soul that will get you condemned? That will have you rejected by God? This is for you to discern in your own heart. I'll list several of King Saul's. First of all, disobedience. He did not keep the commandment of the Lord. It's not important to know that you keep one or two commandments, but you are to keep them all, and you are to keep them precisely the way the Lord says do it. The Scripture says he was in rebellion. That means he went his own way. He did what was right in his own sight. Pride. What we didn't read in the text of the story was when he came back from the battle with the Amalekites, he built a monument to himself. A monument that, that, that memorialized his success and his victory. He had immense pride. He also was very pretentious. Uh, even in his great sin, when he offers this thin confession, his concern is not the glory of God and the humility that he's brought in failing the Lord. It is 
How does he look in the eyes of the elders? So even though Saul, it says the Lord rejected him, he still wants to keep up appearances. And he asks Samuel to stay with him and to, and, and to be with him as he goes into uh, this worship service that he's planning to sacrifice uh, the animals. He is pretentious. He's deceptive about the animals. He first says they had destroyed them. Then when the bleeding of the sheep were audible evidence against him, he changed his story and said they had preserved those animals for sacrifice. And by the way, he misunderstood the sacrifice. Those animals already belong to the Lord. They've been devoted to destruction. They were not sacrificial animals. You only sacrifice that which you have to the Lord. They didn't own those animals. God did. They were not proper sacrificial animals. So then Saul was wrong there too. He was also very disingenuous in his repentance and very uh, um, insincere. In fact, if we had time to go into it, it's a great study in how you can have some kind of repentance that sort of makes you feel better, gets you over the hump, and gets you out of trouble. And you do it when you're caught, when the sheep are bleeding, not when your own heart convicts you of your sin. And this is Samuel's heart. Hypocrisy in his greeting of Samuel. Uh, he has great hypocrisy. He talks about what a great day it is and how they're going to have a great worship service. Also, as we mentioned, theft. In the sacrifice, he had taken what was the Lord's, and the kind of offering they were offering was going to be a thank offering. And a thank offering was an offering where you eat it. You offer certain portions, the fat and all that, but it's actually a meal. So they were going to do what James calls, consume it upon their own desires. It wasn't a sacrifice, it was they were going to have a feast following the, the ritual and the ceremony. These are some of the failures of King Saul, some of his sins, not following the Lord, not keeping commandments. You remember Jesus said simple things like, come unto me, follow me, keep my commandments. These are the things that the believer is called upon to do. Sadly, the failures of Saul revolve around him not accomplishing the purpose of God for his life. That's really it. He had spent his life in endeavors, in successful endeavors. He had spent his life doing good things for Israel in many ways. But he had not accomplished what God had called him to do. And he will not get a second chance to do it. We read earlier in the Scriptures about a man who failed in his call to do what God called him to do, and that was Samson. His job was to kill Philistines, and he didn't do it. He didn't do it very well. He didn't do very much of it, relatively speaking. But God gave him a second chance, and in his death, he killed the five lords of the Philistines and virtually wiped out the core of the Philistine nation for a generation. But Saul is not going to get that chance because he's going to be removed. His dynasty had failed because he didn't wait on the Lord. His ministry of justice failed. God had called upon him to be the executor of righteous judgment. Which is, remember back in the book of Deuteronomy, we read that's what the king was supposed to do. And in failing to exterminate the Amalekites, he had failed in his ministry of justice. And he was a failed person. We saw in the text when when, when um, he was uh, 
confronted there by Samuel, the first thing Samuel said to him, he says, you are small in your own eyes. Evidently, he, he suffered some self, low self-esteem or what we would think of as maybe an inferiority complex or, or something of that sort. We saw that maybe beginning when he hid in the baggage when they were casting the lots to make him king. He kind of hid out. And I'm not condemning Saul, and the Lord doesn't condemn Saul for having a low self-esteem. His problem was he had his eyes on himself. It would have been just as bad if he had had high self-esteem. Doesn't matter what his self-esteem was. It was he was looking to himself. He thought that everything it took to save was within himself. He could do his works. He could do it his way. Saul is the person that is depending upon their own works. The Lord told him to follow the Lord in faithfulness. So I ask you another question. What's the difference between Saul and yourself? Have you found and discovered or been reminded of that fatal sin, that fatal flaw in your life? That thing that condemns you, that thing that makes you fall short of the glory of God? When I do that to myself, I ask, what's the difference between me and King Saul? And there is no difference. King Saul is a profile of me. That's me. Pride, deception, failure, rebellion, insincerity, pretentiousness. Love to wear the robe. Love to be in the stained glass windowed room. Like the sacrifice. Like the show. Take pride in who I am. Insincere in my repentance. There's no difference. There's no difference between Saul I failed the Lord in exactly these same ways. There's no difference. But here's the difference, and I hope it's the difference in your life. If it's not, let's just pray that it will be before we leave this room this morning. I've heard the gospel. And I've heard the gospel, and it says, by the works of the flesh shall not, it's by the works of the law, keeping the law, obedience shall no flesh be justified. And I've heard the gospel coming from the lips of Jesus which said, you will not be saved by your perfect life. You will not be saved by your obedience. You will not be saved by your law keeping. You will not because you'll never measure up. It will always be alloyed with the deepest sin and iniquity. It will always fall short. It will always be a stench in the nostrils of God. All of our righteousness are as filthy rags. I've heard the gospel. And the gospel says, not by works of righteousness which we have done. In a few weeks, we'll get to King David. But let me just tell you the difference between David and Saul is David believed the gospel. 
Instead of keeping the commandments of God, instead of perfect obedience for his salvation, David knew that he had sinned and he had sinned gravely and he had sinned against the Lord. So David trusted the promises of God, the mercy of God, the salvation of God, the provision of God in Christ. He heard the gospel. Surely, surely, we hear the gospel today. We cannot believe, we cannot believe that we are capable of saving ourselves. Our heart is too dark, too desperately wicked, too deceitful. Who can know it? Saul, like many other tragic figures in the Old Testament, never called upon the name of the Lord for salvation. He loved sacrifice. He loved ceremony. But he never looked to the Lord. He always looked to the people or to Samuel or to himself. But not to the Lord alone in whom there is salvation alone. 